Are you ready for the word of the Lord? You might want to get a pencil and paper if there's anything that's said today that the Lord speaks to you. Um, I want you to be ready for that. If you want to know something about the life of a pastor, I'm going to encourage you to read Numbers chapter 16, uh, the, whole, the whole chapter. It's not long. I think it's about 50 verses, something like that. Don't do it now. <laughs> do it sometime this afternoon. But um, when you are a leader of people, whether that's in ministry or in business, you will find pretty quickly there will always be those who are for you, and there will also be others who see things in a different way than what I'm trying to say it nicely, those who are against you. They may not be against you, but they certainly see uh, decisions in in a different way. Does that mean the pastor or the leader is always right? No, of course not. He or she is a mere mortal, flawed. They also uh, hold this treasure in an earthen vessel, that's for sure. Doesn't mean they're always right. That's why we have a multitude of of, uh, uh, counselors around us, and we have here at Bethesda so many godly people who are always giving godly input. But it does mean that the pastor or the leader, those of you who lead businesses, you know I'm telling you the truth, you can become a very easy target when some folks just simply see issues from a different perspective. Sometimes this different perspective that they can find themselves in ends up being expressed through, uh, there's really not any other way to say it, but it can be, it can be expressed through grumbling, through uh, complaining, and through muttering from the people. I know it's hard to believe, but it's, it's possible. But the discriminating leader understands that, that that will happen, and knows that that is simply the cost of leadership. Now, this whole thing about grumbling and complaining, it doesn't happen here in Texas. And certainly, it doesn't happen at Bethesda. Now, I have heard that Oklahoma has a problem with it. Uh, Vic, Pastor Vic, has told me that. But sometime today, um, I want to encourage you to read. And my text is going to be found here in just a second in number 16. I'm not going to be reading the whole of the chapter. But the whole of the chapter is truly interesting. It's a fascinating story. And I encourage you this afternoon uh, to, to read it. The brief synopsis of it is this. There's some among the people of Israel who rise up against Moses, the leader, and his older brother, Aaron, who's his helper. And the response of Moses when this uprising takes place was simply this. Now, God, these are your people. He's kind of saying, this is your issue to handle. These are your people, so you decide what's going to happen here with them. You're going to have to take care of it. And you'll find the whole scenario quite dramatic and interesting. Basically what happens uh, is God opens up the ground and the ground swallows up those who had incited this rebellion against Moses and Aaron and swallows them up. But allow me to pinpoint our text today to number 16, right at verse uh, 41, where we will uh, pick up the story. And through this particular passage, we're going to see what the Lord is saying to us this morning through his holy and infallible word. So where I'm going to begin reading in number 16, at verse 41, this is right after that dramatic incident that I just told you about where God caused the earth to literally open up and swallow those who had come against the leader of the people. Uh, 
Number 16, verse 41 says this. But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the Lord's people. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, you better get out of the way. It's worded a little different in the King James, but that's basically what it said. Boys, move out of the way. Get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them, is what God said to Moses. But Moses and Aaron, what they did is they fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, brother, take an incense burner and, and place burning coals on it from the altar. Quickly, don't delay. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right before the Lord. Or make, them, make them right with the Lord. I just got to say when I read that, what a pastor's heart. Such a pastor's heart. To tell his brother, Aaron, we've got to protect the people. And that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd protect every great pastor that I know, and I'm privileged to know many of them. What is the drive of their heart and what they are pushed to do is to protect the people. The Lord's anger, Scripture says, is blazing against them. And the plague, Scripture does not tell us what kind of plague here, the plague has already begun. And then these last couple of verses are where we pinpoint our text for today. Verse 47, Aaron did as Moses told him. And he ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. And the Bible says this about Aaron. He says, he stood between the dead and the living. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. Now, when you and I use this word plague today, we certainly understand a whole lot more about it than we would have two months ago, don't we? We've learned how serious it is. We've learned how, uh, how deadly it can be. And we've learned how much effort we must go to in order to avoid becoming infected. It's now uh, not just something we talk about or read about in school. It's now a firsthand experience for us. And yet, verse 47 tells us that Aaron ran out among the people. He ran in the midst of the plague, which had already begun to kill the people. In fact, Scripture says it was 14,700 already, to be exact, had already been killed by this plague by the time he ran out into the middle of them. You know, I think if I had been Aaron, I would have probably asked my brother Moses, I would have said, Why don't we, can we just pray for them from up here? Um, do I really have to go down in the, in the can, can, why can't, how about I just stretch forth my hands? I'll, I'll point toward them as I, as I pray. I, I might have been tempted to say that. So today, since we're still in the middle of a pandemic here, let's see what this passage has to tell us about a plague. Now, please, please, please. 
do not interpret any of my comments today to mean that you should go out and do something crazy and dangerous. That is not what I'm saying. And I trust we are all still washing our hands more than ever and wearing the masks and gloves and observing social distancing and anything else that needs to be done to keep us safe and healthy. We are strongly encouraging that. But from the perspective of Numbers chapter 16, let's talk about the plague. As we mentioned, verse 47 tells us that Aaron ran out into the midst of the people. And what is notable to me is that he had the courage to run into the midst of something to save the people. But also he had the courage to run into the midst of something that could have killed him as well. Because here's what we know about a plague. If you look it up in the dictionary, you're going you're to find this. It is an infectious epidemic disease caused by a bacterium characterized by fever, chills, and prostration transmitted to humans from rats. That's what the dictionary says. Transmitted to humans from rats by means of the bites of the fleas which feed upon those rats. Now, while we're working hard here to prevent any spread of the coronavirus we're living in today, wearing the masks and gloves and social distancing, the dictionary tells us that the plague is transmitted from a bite. You can get a plague by being bitten. So as hard as we're all working to avoid COVID-19, there's another plague that you and I are both susceptible to, and that's really what I'm talking about here. What I'm speaking of is not a plague that attacks or bites the body, but I'm speaking of a plague that attacks and bites our soul. And I have to wonder how many millions of people have been affected by this plague that I'm speaking of. How many marriages have died? How many destinies have been destroyed? How much joy has been robbed? How much of our very soul has been killed? How many dreams have been lost because of the plague that attacks our soul? And here's what I want us to see today. Just as the plague which attacks our body begins with a bite, according to the dictionary, the same thing can be said of the plague that attacks our soul. Someone's lied to you. Someone has uh, rejected you. Someone has abused you. Someone has denied you of something, and it all happened with a bite. And instead of taking the antidote called forgiveness, we allow it to harbor within and have its full effect on a plague. We, we internalize it. We keep it in. We shove it down, and we keep that within us. Now, I know what happens at this point in a sermon like this. Many, if not most, will say something, okay, Pastor, and I got it. This is a sermon on forgiveness. I see where you're headed, and uh, it's probably good that you're preaching that. It's probably a good thing, but you know, this is not for me, but my my goodness, I sure wish so-and-so was watching them. Maybe I should text them and ask them to tune in. Can I just tell you what the most dangerous part of of any plague is? It's the two to seven days between the time you are bitten 
and the time that the symptoms begin to manifest in you. That's the most dangerous time. And today we have a nice word that we call it. It's called you're, you're asymptomatic. You don't seem to be showing any outward signs of having the having this plague. And it's in those two to seven days that because you seem to be fine, you look fine on the outward, that you spread the plague without even knowing that you're doing it. And when you've been bitten, you then become a host of bitterness. You then become a host of unforgiveness. And you then begin to spread the plague to other people before you even realize that you've been infected. And I'm just asking you to be aware today that you may be asymptomatic, but you're carrying a plague that you don't even know that you're carrying. Verse 41 of our text in number 16 shows us why and how the plague mentioned here even began in the first place. It says this, 1641, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering. Other versions say complaining against Moses and Aaron. That was the moment the plague began. That was the moment that God came down and put judgment on them through the plague because of their muttering and their grumbling and their complaining. Now, we can easily say, what's the big deal? I mean, don't we all? I mean, don't we all have our opinions and expressions? And why is that? You know, there's a whole lot worse things. God sure got angry and, and uh, not happy with that. And there's a whole lot worse things that, that take place other than just grumbling and complaining and, and muttering. But let me show you what this word muttering, which our version uses, means in the original Hebrew text. It's the Hebrew word loon, L-U-W-N. The Hebrew word loon, and here's what it means. To stop over and stay. That's what the word means. It means to stay permanently. So in the original text here about muttering, complaining, it means that you have arrived at a place somehow within you that you've allowed it to, whatever's happened, to lodge within, to dwell, to lodge, to stay permanently within. Loon is the word. So in other words, whatever you've been bitten by, you couldn't move on. You can't get over it, no matter how you hide it, no matter how you try to cover it up. You were bitten, became infected, and you could not go on. You could not move past it. And it festered and took root and grew, and whatever bit you kept you from getting past, getting beyond the rejection, the disappointment, the, the hurt, the pain, the abandonment. And so you've adopted this position, which is you've been wronged, and someone has to pay the price. That is the moment when the bite takes place and the plague begins to manifest itself. For the Israelites, a seed of grumbling and muttering produced a whole harvest of plague. You know what, church? Today you and I are capable of bearing the same results. Even a small bite, a small pain, a small hurt, if not dealt with properly, will grow into a harvest of a plague. Well, now that we've identified 
thank you for staying with me this long. I'm sure this is not the most encouraging message you've heard. It's going to shift in a second. Now that we've identified what the issue was, the muttering, the complaining, let's see what Aaron did in this moment. Remember, God had told Moses and Aaron, y'all need to get out of the way. I'm going to put an end to all of them. God was not, he was tired of it, wasn't going to put up with it anymore. And so Moses tells Aaron to go down and stand between, right? Go down right in the middle of the people and stand between the living and the dead. Again, if I'd been Aaron, I would have probably said, you know, are there any other options available here? But look what Aaron did. Verse 48 tells us that he stood between the living and the dead, which was the very moment that faith was summoned to the forefront. You got to hand it to Aaron. He ran right straight down into the middle of it. And though this was something Moses was telling Aaron to do, I, I have a sense within my heart that this is something the Lord is saying to us today. And instead of ignoring the plague, ignoring the bite, or pretending that it did not happen, I think it's possible that the Lord is speaking to you and I today and saying, no matter what it is for you, pain, abandonment, rejection, something that happened to you, instead of ignoring you, I'm going to encourage you to go right down and stand in the middle of it. Go right down into the pain. Really, Pastor? Yes. But I've worked so hard to cover it up. To get Because what Moses and Aaron could have done, which is actually what God invited them to do, was to just get out of the way. And we all have that same option with our pain. Just pretend it's not there. So picture in your mind, Aaron running down to stand among the people, right between the living and the dead. And then I ask of you to consider this statement. Living things have a future. Dead things only have a past. Living things have a future. Dead things only have a past. And I believe that many of us stand right in the middle of our circumstances and fail to differentiate between our future and our past. Or we feel like our past is an indication of what our future has to be. So I'm just wondering today, do you have the courage to walk right down into the plague of your marriage? Hmm. And instead of focusing on the things of the past, why don't you focus on the living things of your future? Do you have the courage to walk right down in the middle of the, the pain, your pain of loss? And instead of focusing on the dead things, begin to focus on the living things. Why? Because living things are always future-based. Dead things are always past-based. And here stands Aaron right in the middle of both the dead and the living and was able to have the perspective to see both, and so do you. You can stand in the middle of the pain delivered to you by your past abuser, but also 
See the future of your release and deliverance from that pain and choose the future. You have that option. You can stand in the middle between your past mistakes and and the regrets, but also begin to see the future of what God has for you in spite of your failures, in spite of your shame, in spite of your past. And do you know how you do that? You do it by going down and standing right in the middle of it. The psalmist tells us this in Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys it. You're not going to fear it. Nor the plague that destroys at midday. So Moses asked Aaron to go down and stand between the living and the dead. And I'm actually asking you to do the same thing. Look through your life. Comb through your thoughts and your feelings. Wow, that might be tough. Yep. And be willing to go right down into the places of your mind, into the depths of your heart that hurt to go to. I got some too. And stand right in the middle of it. Right between the living and the dead. And having done that and identifying your plague, I now want to talk to you about, we've talked about the plague Now I want to talk about the promise. Because the promise is the reason that you can go down into the plague. It's the reason you can go there. Aaron had the courage to go down into the midst of the plague because of the promise. He wasn't afraid of the plague because of the promise. He knew that God's protection was upon him. Paul tells us in Romans 4, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, or if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations, Abraham. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham believed in that God. So here's the good news. What you'll find when you walk down into the place between the living and the dead within your own soul, hopefully we can see the living, the future, and have some sense of the good things that are ahead. But did you know that when you walk down into that place and you see those things which are dead, that we serve a God who can take the dead things of your life and bring those things back to life again? That's the scripture I just read you. We serve a God who can take the dead things that, are, have, completely, you've, that have completely died and bring them to life again. God can look at the things in your life which you say are as good as dead. And he can bring his resurrection power to them and bring them back to life. He can look at a life broken by addiction and say, I call life to come forth out of this. He can look at a marriage that is seemingly dead and gone and call something into existence which everyone else would call dead. He can take a dream or a vision 
something you thought was long dead and gone, no matter how much your heart had yearned for it, and he can call forth life into it. Ladies, with great sensitivity, I say, he can take a womb, which the doctors have said cannot produce, and he can bring life in the name of Jesus. That's the God we serve, Bethesda. That is exactly the God we serve. Even what the plague has destroyed can be brought back to life. Even the boy that Elijah stretched out over was brought back to life. Even the child that Jesus himself walked up to, which was dead, was brought back to life. Even the dry bones, the book of Ezekiel, were brought back to life. Even Lazarus and his dead self was brought back to life. That's the God we serve. Same thing can happen to you, to your marriage, to your life. He can bring life back into your finances, to your business, sir, ma'am. God can bring life back into that through his resurrection power. It can happen to your mind. He can bring life back to your joy. That which you thought was dead, God is in the business of bringing it back to life. And I promise you, I promise you, it is not too late. I promise you, you have not gone too far. I promise you, it is not over. Why? Because God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's the God that we serve. Let me show you a great example of this. In the very next chapter from our text, number 17, says this. So Moses gave the instruction. Stay with me here. Moses gave the instructions to the people of Israel. And each of the 12 tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. Moses placed these staffs in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. Verse 8, when he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, represented, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted. What? Which would be a miracle in and of itself because it's dead. It's a dead stick. It had sprouted. And it budded. And it blossomed, and it produced ripe almonds overnight. I certainly don't claim to know a lot about almond trees, but I do know this. Found this out. An almond tree can take 5 to 12 years to produce fruit. 5 to 12 years to produce fruit. And once the almond even grows and is bearing fruit on the tree, it can be up to 180 plus days before the fruit is actually ripe enough to pluck or to pick. But God took something that should have taken 5 to 12 years and did it overnight. Now, while that is impressive, the most impressive thing to me is that he did it out of something that was dead. It was a dead stick. 
He did it out of something that was useless. Something with no life flowing through it at all. God brought life through this dead stick which germinated, matured, and produced fruit overnight. So why can we not take that same miraculous power of God and apply it to our own hearts today? I think we can. Let's look at the process. What did Moses do with that stick before it produced fruit? Well, we read it. Let me remind you. He laid it down in the presence of God. Laid the stick down in the presence of God. That's it. That's what the Bible says. Now you, if you're like me, you would have preferred a process that had a nice to-do list, a little check boxes over here. I love to check off things on my to-do list. You, you, would, you and I would prefer a list with all the things that we are to do to see the dead in us come to life. Give me a list. Show me the, the, how do I get from here to there, and I'm going to go after it. And yet what Moses did with that dead stick was this. He laid it down in the presence of God. What is it that's dead in you today? What is it that's plaguing you? Can I just encourage you, lay it down in the presence of God. Lay it down. For the promise to you is this. If you will bring what is dead in you, God will produce fruit on you. If you will bring what is dead in you and lay it down in the presence of God, God will produce fruit on you. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down in the presence of God. And so who will start this process? You will. You will. Let me try to tie this all together. The story of Aaron going down among the living and the dead and the story of Moses laying down the rod of Aaron is all foreshadowing or pointing to someone who had not yet come. The coronavirus that we're living in today cannot be resolved yet because the antidote, the antibiotics, the vaccine has not yet arrived, has not been invented. It has not yet come, at least to us. And that's, by the way, that's been the situation with every pandemic, every plague that our world has ever faced. There's always been a time of waiting for the answer to come. The story of Aaron going down amongst the plague is an incredible, incredible, please get this, please listen to me. Try to eliminate the distractions just for the next five minutes. The story of Aaron going down amongst the plague is an incredible picture of Jesus. Aaron was the high priest. And Aaron was the one charged to go down by his brother among the living and the dead to offer atonement. Why did he go? To offer atonement for the sins of people so that God would not destroy them. 
Moses said, hurry, Aaron, get this, get the incense and take it down to offer atonement for the sins of people. Who do you think he's foreshadowing? This was a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do for us. Because we, you and I, live in a plague-ridden, sin-filled world. And so Christ came on the scene as the great high priest. The Father sent him, his only son, charging him with the task to leave the splendor of heaven and go right down into the middle, the middle of our sin-sick world. And he said to his only son, I want you to stand between the living and the dead. And I want you to hang on a cross that hangs right in the middle because I want you to become the atonement which will stop the plague of sin. And I want you to bring the promise right to the middle of the plague. Well, then when Moses laid down the rod, it was something that was dead. This, too, was a foreshadowing of Christ because there was going to be something else that was laid down. There would be something else that would be laid down through a dead piece of wood. Something else laid down through a dead piece of wood that would sprout. Jesus said in John chapter 10, this is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life, and so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right or the authority to lay it down. I also have the right, the authority to take it up again. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 11. Out of the stump. What's a stump? A dead piece of wood. Out of the stump of David's family, or from the stem of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch, Jesus, bearing fruit from the old root. Remember Jesus said, remain in me for I am the vine and you will produce fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Dear one, Jesus came to end your plague. He came to run, not walk slowly. Run right down in the middle of your marriage. Run right in the middle of your circumstances. Run right in the middle of your business that's struggling today. And he runs right up to you, right between the living parts of you and the dead parts of you to bring atonement, to stop the plague, to stop the thing that has come to destroy you. The reason why the dead parts of you can come back to life is because Christ has made a way for us to have life through his resurrection power. That's why the dead things in you can breathe again. But I'm wondering today, How are you treating those wounds from your plague? What are you putting on them? What what are you thinking that you can put on to help them? If you go back through the history of every pandemic that's taken place, bubonic plague, um, 
any of them, you'll find some crazy things that people did. Carrying flowers, putting on perfume, refusing to bathe, they had the reasons for that. Living in a sewer, uh, they had the reasons for that that made sense. They, they made it make sense. Uh, concocting all kinds of herbs and things that they're putting on their wounds. What, what are you treating your wounds with today? Alcoholism? Pornography? Drugs? Anger? Is that your fix? Let me finish by showing you something that is pictured beautifully in the Old Testament as the musicians and Pastor Brent come back. It mentions a balm which comes from Gilead. Now, you old-timers like me will remember the song we sang, There is a Balm in Gilead. Jeremiah chapter 8 says this, Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? This is another picture of Christ to come. For Christ is the balm in Gilead. He is the only thing that you can put on your wounds to bring healing. I found this this week. It's a preacher named J.C. Philpot, way back in the 1800s, who preached an amazing sermon on this idea of Jesus being the balm in Gilead. Here's what he said. I hope they project it. You may want to write this down. There is more in the balm to heal than there is guilt to wound. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. For there is more in grace to save than there is in sin to destroy. It was J.C. Philpot who gave us that. Can I read it one more time? There is more in the balm to heal. <laughs> you know this song, don't you? There is more in the balm to heal than there is in guilt to wound. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There is more in grace to save than there is in sin to destroy. When I read that this week, it made me think of the words of the Apostle Paul, which we find in Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace so much more abounds. Do we live in a sin-filled world? Yes. But God's grace is more than enough, more than sufficient. Whatever it is planted deep down within you, God's grace is more than enough. I'm actually going to call for a response to this message today. It's a little challenging to give an altar call in this format. But I'm going to do it this way. I ask you wherever you are, if this message is spoken to you in any way, Please find a quiet place in your home, your apartment, wherever you are, and say this to the Lord. God, I'm laying it down. I'm laying this down. I am uncovering 
this dead thing in me, this plague that I live with, probably live with it a long time. I'm laying it down at your feet. And I'm asking you, God, to replace it with your resurrection life. He can do that, my friend. God, I want you to take the dead things in me and somehow by your miraculous power cause fruit to sprout from it. I recognize today the only way this is going to happen is if I will lay it down in the presence of God and say, God, these are the dead things in me. Will you bring life to them? Will you bring life to my marriage? Will you bring life to my thought life? God, will you bring life to my finances? God, will you bring life to my business today? It looks dead. Maybe dead and gone. Will you bring life to my business today? God, will you bring life to my joy? It seems as it was evaporated. Will you bring life to my joy? Will you bring life to my relationships? And I also would say, Lord, would you bring life to my giftings? What are the giftings God has blessed you with, placed within you? Natural uh, inclinations. Would you bring life to them? Let it all go somewhere in the past. Would you bring life to it? It seems like it's dead. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for your blessing to be upon the people today. I recognize no sermon can change one person, but your Holy Spirit can. Nothing I can say, nothing really that happens on this platform can make a difference. You are the one who makes a difference. So I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will stretch across the Internet today. Those who are hearing this word, and you will bring life as they lay down the dead things of their past. I ask it in the name of Jesus.